Hello and welcome back to the second ever episode of the Trick Play Podcast. I'm Simon Chuskovsky and I'm here with Caleb Peterson and shortly we'll be breaking down all the sports related news, rumors and drama that you will want to hear about. In this episode we will be talking about some of the big trades that went down in both the NHL and the NBA. Then we'll move on to the Hockey Hall of Fame class of 2023 and who they might have missed. And of course we'll make sure to touch on how somehow we got to the point where the biggest fight in the world is between the guy who invented your mom's favorite app and Joe Rogan's smoking buddy. Caleb, are you ready to get into it? I am ready as ever. Ladies and gentlemen, the biggest fight since Conor McGregor and and Mayweather. I don't know why somehow, for some reason, Floyd Mayweather. Why did I forget his name? Okay, not important. The biggest fight since McGregor and Mayweather is in the talks right now. And God, of all the names I would have thrown out there, for who it was going to be. I was not thinking Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg. I I personally can say I'm a big fight fan for a lot of things, especially the UFC. And if you were to ask me a year ago what the chances were of Elon Musk getting into the octagon and trying to beat the crap out of the guy who invented Facebook... I would not have said that was one of the things that was going to happen. I don't know about you, Caleb. <laughs> yeah, no. The, the, that kind of came out of nowhere, right? Um, it's kind of the perfect storm of, like, just, like, insane, uh, random internet garbage to happen, right? It's the it's the combination of Mark Zuckerberg actually being, like, good at jujitsu, and the combination of Elon Musk giving the, like, I don't give Elon like a Musk single single crap. Before. Yeah, he he ha, quote unquote has fought before, but he you know the attitude of if you're and gonna like, give him something, he's gonna do it. Like, there's so many things that I love about like this entire thing that's been happening. One of my favorite things was the interview that Elon Musk gave on the entire thing. He didn't just to be clear. I don't th- I don't believe he started by saying he had some jujitsu experience or whatever. I don't think he started with that. He started with the fact that he grew up in South Africa and has fought before. Oh, well, which, for, for Musk, when that's you're all about, he has going for him. But Zuckerberg is actually... Zucker, Zuckerberg oh, yeah, yeah. Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg, yeah, that's not what I'm saying. I'm arguing for Musk because I can't believe anybody who is about to get into an octagon in a situation, in a cage fight, where you, are, you have to defend yourself against a professional fighter. Wow, that's not Mark Zuckerberg. Elon Musk... You, he is making the argument for wanting to get into the same cage as all these professional fighters with the fact that he has fought before. Which yes, is yeah. mind-boggling to me, and I love it so much. Yeah, I like, don't, think, he, I don't oh. think he's paying attention to the fact that he's outmatched. But I've seen, no. I've seen the argument, because of course I peruse Instagram comment section. I've seen people arguing that Musk, <laughs> that Musk will win because he's I, like, you know he what? has the size advantage, right? I... And would be one of those people. Really? Because I, as you, you've mentioned, Mark Zuckerberg has some <laughs> jujitsu experience, which is my new favorite quote from this entire thing. <laughs> which is totally just something that I wrote in, just to be clear. I don't think that's actually a thing from the, the thing, just to be clear. We're not. Zuckerberg has more than some jujitsu experience. So does Elon Musk, probably. But um, if we're just talking about what we know. Mark Zuckerberg is the younger guy, but he's also 5'8 <laughs> and 150 pounds, according to what I'm reading right now. 
and Elon Musk is 6'1", 215. <laughs> and in fighting, in when it comes to MMA, size is such a huge thing. And there's a reason there's weight classes, obviously, and all that. And you could go on for, about that forever. But I, the thing is, some part of me thinks that just because of that is the reason that Elon Musk is going to win. But at the same time, we're not talking about two professional MMA fighters. We're talking about two billionaires who sit on their ass for a living and do stuff. I, I, don't, even, I don't even know what to say they do. But um, other than run their companies. There, we're talking about two guys. Mark Zuckerberg, like a, obviously, competes in jujitsu tournaments. But is that going to be enough for him to grab a leg on Elon Musk and get him, get a leg bar or arm bar, sorry, or something? You know, like there's, is he going to be able to pull that off, or is he going to just get sat on by a 215 pound Elon Musk? Yeah, I think it depends how much he actually like cares. Musk, that is, like if Musk trains at least well, even a, even a little yeah. bit well, even the, a little the, bit he's gonna like other, i think he'll win yeah because like otherwise zuckerberg yeah Zuck, I'm, in the current state i think zuckerberg could take him out right because i like, think wait i'm sorry I, you cut out, out a little bit there did you say you think he'll win or do you think you don't think he's gonna win? i think i think if if musk trains even a little bit like if he preps for this i think he'll win but if if it like happened today i think zuckerberg would win just because um like he has that experience that fighting experience like he's actually genuinely pretty decent um and musk has the size advantage but when you are that far behind in terms of like how much fighting experience you have i feel like that's a little bit too much to overcome but musk definitely has like the genetic advantage (laughs) i can't believe i'm saying that about elon musk yeah for sure and the thing with yeah well the thing with (laughs) musk is the fact that he or the you mentioned training and how important that is and how serious Elon Musk takes this is going to determine how how it turns out which I kind of agree with he's already there's already talks about him teaming up with uh, George St. Pierre who's arguably the greatest UFC fighter of all time depending on who you ask if you ask me I'd say that and um but that's taken away step you know what I'm not going down that rabbit hole I'm just going to piss people off but uh anyway GSP who is an absolute beast in the cage. If he can learn a percent of 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 what GSP can teach him, maybe, <laughs> maybe he can do something. We'll just have to see. Yeah, I I, I don't know. Simon, are you going to watch? Yes, absolutely. Are, are you seriously asking me if I would... if? If if two billionaires are going to get into the ring and beat the crap out of each other, you you've you've got me sold. I it's going to be two fat dudes swinging, and they're both billionaires and they're both. I I love the entire thing. While not, I do not think it is the biggest fight ever, <laughs> I I, uh, I, I feel like that, that is an insult. I ain't paying for that. You ain't paying for that. Nah. I. <laughs> I, I think calling it the biggest fight ever is an insult to the entire sport. Um, I <laughs> I would watch, though. <laughs> I would definitely I will, watch I will just wait until the clip of one of them knocking out the other appears on Instagram, Twitter, what have you. But I have better ways you think to what, spend what, a- So you're saying, you're saying right now, Caleb Peterson prediction thinks that there will be a knockout? Is that what you're saying? No, I'm taking that back. 
Okay, you, that, you heard it. You heard it here first. Nah, Caleb nah, Peterson nah, 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 declares nah, nah. that I there will be nothing. a knockout in the billionaire nothing. brawl. <laughs> I declare nothing. I declare that the billionaire brawl will probably end very sadly and very. Musk will It'll be two dudes dancing and dancing around each other for yeah. 25 minutes. Musk will trip and fall on his ass and break his tailbone or something and have to be carted out of there. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, man. It's so stupid. I, I will. Whenever if this actually happens, I will, uh, enjoy greatly finding something else to do. I I don't. It'll think. be a five round draw. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm. <laughs> these these billionaires don't need any more attention than they already have. They can go to hell. How much See, money do you think they're gonna make off this? Too that's much. The, that's even too much. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not giving any of my money to those people. No, thank you. I'll I do not blame you. I do not blame you. But personally, the idea of seeing Elon Musk punch Mark Zuckerberg in the face, or the other way around, or what have you, is the funniest thing since. I don't even know. <laughs> so I can tell you right now, I will be, I will be watching. <laughs> this feels like the Logan Paul versus KSI of the 2020. It is. It absolutely is. And that's the funny thing because Dana White, who is the UFC president for anybody who wouldn't know, has been like criticizing celebrity boxing for as long as I can remember. And then all of a sudden he has the opportunity to put two billionaires in a ring who have zero training in anything. Like, it's not even like they've been boxing. It's not like they've been doing anything. Well, Mark Zuckerberg, jujitsu. We could, I feel like I have to throw that after every claim I make. But, uh, so he obviously is okay at it. But, or good, or what have you. But, you're putting two guys with next to no experience. It's just like, you're, I mean, another example, throw it on Dana White, potent, kind of being a hypocrite in certain things. I mean, I'm going to be really interesting to see how many people buy it. I think that's going to be super interesting to me. Probably the most interesting thing about the entire thing. Yeah, I think people will, which is unfortunate. Yeah. But oh yeah. Because yeah. it's for me, for me, like I don't know. It's it's like the Logan Paul KSI fight. If both of them were Logan Paul, I just want them both to lose. It's just like this is depressing. <laughs> it's funny, but it's depressing. Like, I'm not. <laughs> What does this world okay. come to? I agree. Oh, yeah. Yep, I agree. It's depressing. But then again, I want to see a billionaire knock the other billionaire out just because. <laughs> <laughs> so that's true. We can end this one off. We can end this one off just by quickly saying. I will be attending. Caleb will be putting all his money on a knockout. And that's all that needs to be said. With the draft now behind us, we're going to take a look at a couple of the trades that happened before the draft and what they could potentially mean for all the teams involved. And just for a little bit of a note, we're recording this basically, I believe, 10 minutes before the draft is supposed to start, <laughs> which isn't exactly great planning on our part, but hey, what can you do? We're going to start off with uh, the Tyler Toffoli trade, sending him to the Devils for uh, a prospect and a third-round pick. All of a sudden, I do not have his name on the screen. Sharon Govich, who I watched a couple highlights on because I didn't actually know of him too much prior to this trade, but holy crap, that guy has a cannon of a shot. Yeah, I mean, he does have a cannon of a shot, but I don't know. I, I've made my opinion on this trade known to you, Simon. I <laughs> yeah. think this is quite, as a Flames fan, this is very disappointing um, in terms of Craig Conroy's first move as GM. 
Um, Toffoli had a career year last year. Was I'd say you can maybe debate this, but I think he was the best player on the team last year. He was the only one who played above expectations. Huberto sucked. Um, <laughs> yeah. Lindholm, extremely disappointing. Toffoli had such a huge bounce back year um, from the year before that, where he was disappointing after being traded here for Montreal. Um, and I just don't know how you can't leverage that kind of a season into getting a better return. Because um, Govich I think, is good. He has potential. He had a breakout season last year. But um, I don't know if that's worth the worth to Foley. Because I, I understand that you're trying to get younger. I understand um, the need to try to accrue draft capital. But I just don't understand how you can't get more. Yeah, I definitely don't disagree with you. Trading Toffoli for that type of return after you got him for a first-round pick definitely isn't the best. But I don't know if I agree with you on the fact that it, it makes Conroy look bad. Because I don't know if you can necessarily blame him for it. I think that it's just the fact that Toffoli is on an expiring contract. It's hard to move players on expiring contracts. We've seen that all over the league. Especially when you can't guarantee... Tyler Toffoli is obviously a UFA. You can't guarantee that your team's going to be getting him back the next year. Obviously, it's not easy to move a player like that. And I think, honestly, the difference between a third-round pick and a first for the Flames would have probably been whether you're trading them now or whether you were trading them at the trade deadline, which obviously Conroy yeah. wasn't the general manager back then. So, no, that... again, another list of things you can probably tr- blame uh, Brad Trelleving for. But if that, all things yeah. considered, I feel like the smartest move of all would have been moving to fully back then, but since we don't have a time machine... I'm not necessarily mad about the return. I, I mean, I don't. I do like Sharon Govich from what I've seen of the few. I'll watch more on him and try and learn a bit more about him as a player. But I, the Flames, one of the Flames' biggest holes in the last like decade or even ever since Agitla left, arguably was has been right wing, and we've seen them really struggle to fill that hole since like, I guess you could say Yuri Hudler was a pretty good right winger for us. But other than that, it's pretty hard to name any that we've had. So seeing them trade for a young guy with, a, like I said, cannon of a shot, hopefully you throw him out there with Huberto, even though obviously he's not that good yet, maybe later in the year when he's earned it. But if you throw him out there with a playmaker like Huberto, we could potentially see him maybe not having a career year, putting a couple more but in the back of the net. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. It seems like Flames trades nowadays are always, you, you always come out of it with that kind of attitude. Hopefully this person will turn into something. Hopefully this will turn out a little bit better. Um, I I don't know. I'm just kind of tired of treading water. Um, it's really are you going to ta- are you going to essentially tank and are you going to try to rebuild or are you going to try to contend? Um, and I think the Flames are in the worst possible spot. I think the worst spot you can be in in the standings is exactly where they were, 17th overall in the league, because. You're not getting a good draft pick. You're not getting good capital for um, building a contender in the future. Um, and you miss the playoffs. You don't have a chance to contend. It's teams, at, like, all of these teams that are just sort of mediocre, those are the teams that um, struggle. You look at teams like Colorado. They were they built their team by intent, like, they were bad. They were awful. Last in the league. They get Nathan McKinnon. They start building a young team around them. That's how they won Stanley Cups. Um, 
same thing with a bunch of other teams, right? Like Carolina, bad for many years. Um, Toronto was bad for a while. Um, like the Kings were bad for a while, like Quint, picking Quinton Byfield number two, and now they're back in the playoffs, and they're, they are making moves of their, of their own, which we'll talk about later. I just don't think... I... Sharon Govish could be good, but at the same time, I'd rather just go in for a higher upside prospect, which I completely agree. We should have traded him at the at the trade deadline. Um, that was a bad move by Tree Living, and Conroy was kind of left in a little bit of a predicament in terms of um, what to do with Defoli. But, I don't know, this just leaves a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth, knowing that we had such a valuable asset in Defoli, and we essentially got nothing for him. That's what kind of what kind of sours it, right? And you you do to kind of leave on a different note. Now, it's maybe not a good as good to use this as an example because it didn't work out for us. But the last time we had a player who had like a career year on an expiring contract was Matthew Kachuk. Yeah. And while obviously that trade didn't work out for <laughs> us, we the return was still amazing. Like Huberdo and Uyghur at the time are still extremely valuable pieces. I, I think know, the- if you're I think the hardest you thing can with get comparing that for those Kachuk. two things, though, is the fact that Kachuk was, I believe, a hundred point, hundred fifteen point scorer, and you're when you compare that to a seventy point scorer, obviously their returns yeah. can be very diminished. And no, obviously, I'm not, I'm right, not saying, I'm not saying that you're gonna get Huberdeau and, and Weger for Toffoli. Obviously not. But like, just something better than this. This feels yeah. like you're you're getting nothing. Like the what is the third the third round pick probably nothing. Sharon Govich, I can he could be good like every other player the Flames have traded for, um, but I can also see him being disappointing, flaming out of the league and being in being on the Wranglers in a couple years. Like I don't know I it just it just doesn't sit right with me. Yeah, for sure, and I guess I'll counter that with another question. What do you think would have been the best possible return we could have gotten? Like, if keep in mind, you're still trading him now. This is not trade deadline. This is not prior. This is now. In a situation where you're not necessarily looking at... You're, anybody who's trading for Tyler Toffoli isn't looking at a guy who... They're looking at someone who could potentially leave. This isn't a situation where he's probably going to sign an extension right now after the trade. What do you think is the best thing you could yeah, I think for Toffoli, I would have much rather, because obviously you gave up a first round pick, so that's kind of the bar. Are you going to hit that bar? Probably not, because of when you're trading him. But if you could manage to get a late first round pick from a team like the Devils by, I don't know, including Toffoli and a later round pick, let's say you trade Toffoli and like a fourth for the Devils first round pick, that would sit a lot better with me than getting Sharon Govich in a third. I don't know how likely that is. I don't know how much the Devils want to hold on to that, but I feel like some team is going to take that, right? Yeah, maybe. I th- I don't know. For the, th- the issue is, is you're seeing... it's Sure, he's coming off a career year, but he hasn't really had a year prior to that where he hit that 70-point, 34-goal area yeah right? but so you're not trading a team that's trying to pick up to fully i don't think they're necessarily looking at it as a, they're trading for someone who is going to give them 35 goals next year 
I think they're looking at it as a guy who, like you said, you're talking about coulds here, even on the flame side, could give you 35 goals. And that's why it gets a little more flimsy. I don't no, know if it's, I don't know if teams would give up a first. I, I think that's awesome. It's different. It's it different because we already did, though, right? It's different because we already did. His value was already a first round pick. But then again, the we only for the him only at reason the it's watered down. down. We're trying to compete, yeah. contend, right? So it's just the only it's tough. yes. The only reason it's watered down is the timing of it, right? Yeah. But at the same time, like if you're just talking about the player, like ignore the timing of it for a second. You're just talking about the player. He has already proven that he is worth a first round pick. He's already proved, proven that he's worth a first-round pick because he exceeded expectations when he was already valued at a first-round pick by the Flames. So, True. again, I get that they are trading a free agent. Um, it's essentially just a deal to get the rights for him. But at the same time, uh, I don't know. It Keeping just feels mind, like so, so much less of a return than we could have gotten, right? Yeah, for sure. And keeping in mind, now we know what we did get for him. We got Sharon Govich and a third-round third pick. Would you have rather waited until the next trade deadline and maybe trade him to a contender knowing that he was probably going to leave into free agency after that season? Would you have rather waited and s- to see what you might get then? Yeah, yeah, I, I would have. I think the market is a little bit more um, competitive at that point point because right now you're dealing with teams that have their entire roster in front of them right the devils they can roll out their ideal perfect lineup um to fully slot it in first line second line i don't know where he's gonna play but look at that after the trade deadline say uh i don't know timo meyer gets hurt and he's out for like the rest of the season that's when a team like new jersey gets more desperate let's say that they're already like second in the division that's when they get more desperate that's when they're willing to give up more for Toffoli that's and I and I definitely do it at that time I definitely agree with you I think it's although at the same time obviously I don't think the Flames could have done that I think Tyler Toffoli had kind of told them that requested a trade didn't want to be on the team next year it is what it is obviously they could have said why did you see why he I think I did, wanted, but I don't remember. He wanted to re-sign, um, right, but yeah. essentially the Flames were the ones that weren't interested, so he decided that he needed to move on. I don't think I don't think that weren't interested was the right way. I think it's just that nothing I'll, had happened yet. I think that's I'll what see I remember. If, I'll see if I can. I'll see if I can pull, pull yeah, the okay. quote because he he what talked I, about it. Yeah, what I remember hearing was that he wanted to have that contract talk. Right now, obviously, but the Flames weren't really engaging in that. They didn't really want it right now. Obviously, when you're bringing in a new general manager and all these different things are happening, I think the Flames were kind of hoping you'd, they'd see a little bit more patience from Tyler Toffoli. That's just that's me putting in words into the whole... That's my thought on the whole situation, not the truth, not the facts, obviously. But I think that... If Tyler Toffoli really wanted to stay in Calgary, he probably would have just had to wait. And they probably... I can't imagine the Flames wouldn't have signed him, right? I can't imagine they would have just let him walk, so... Although, like yeah, I said, although, I'm not necessarily hate... I don't hate the return either, so... Uh, yeah, I'm a little bit more of a, a hater on the return. I have the quote here from Toffoli. It's a, um, it basically sounds like 
like yeah maybe he would have gotten an extension in the future in the next year or so but he felt like it wasn't um coming so here is god my internet's slow (laughs) just looking at that tweet that the little there swirly bar okay uh he said i was waiting for an extension conversation and there was none coming and it didn't feel like there was one in the future it didn't sound like there was any sort of need for me or want in a way so it was a personal decision i thought it was time for myself and my wife to experience something different and move forward that sounds like a lack of interest on the team side yeah well Which, and i don't know if i necessarily blame the flames for that either it's a we're a team or their team currently that's looking at like not really looking at contending necessarily in the next year or two. A guy like DeFoley, obviously you could trade him for a prospect. We did trade him for a po- prospect and a pick. I mean, I feel like this is a situation, obviously the Flames gave up. If the Flames hadn't given up a first for him in the first place, I feel like people wouldn't be hating this trade as much. Sure, you could still have gotten more, but at that point... Yeah. I, 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 I feel like... You, even even without the first. Even without the first? Even without that, though? Was? Too little? Yeah. Even without that, you're getting, like, like the third round pick, how much is that going to matter? Sure, it's good you're getting draft capital, but 80% chance that it's going to be a player who never sees him in a playing time for your team. Um, sure. If you take it straight up to Foley for Sharangovich, <laughs> it's not equal. Like, not yeah, at I'm, all. And I'm, of course, I agree and, with you there. I, I would never in my wildest dreams try and say that that is equal. Be, I think that because, I'm not. Too, I'm saying that it's as much as I think you would have gotten. But remember this, too, that Sharon Govich was also on an expiring deal. Because we just signed him to a two-year... True. Um, I don't... It was a decent deal. Two-year something. <laughs> no, I like, not too crazy. I like that contract. I, I I didn't mind that deal. But, like, they're, they're both players with expiring contracts. They're both in the same situation. I'd straight up swap for each other a little bit more on the devil's side. Like, it's just not even at all. Um, I think the Flames could have got more and they should have gotten more and it's not not a great start to the conroy era um i know we want to move into some of these other trades i yeah, i was gonna want to get your want to want to get your before we move on from this what is your overall thoughts on the new regime in in calgary because i do have some thoughts about that okay are um, you confident I'm... in craig conroy's ability you know i will definitely say that we have not seen enough i i like craig conroy i've met craig conroy a couple times he's an awesome guy but obviously, he awesome is. people does not necessarily mean awesome general manager. And we're going to have to see what that really looks like in the next little bit. This first trade obviously doesn't look the best. I don't think he was in a good position. You know, like, you know what I mean? And I've already m- mentioned that. I think he was kind of forced into this one. I don't know if it's a good... I don't know if it's a good reason to instantly just start throwing everything up in the air and saying he's a terrible general manager. I don't think you can say that just yet. Maybe wait and see what the draft, what happens in the draft. Obviously, we'll see what happens in the draft. Uh, you'll know what's happened in the draft, and maybe another trade. Who knows? I'm saying patience is my answer. I I don't know yet. I love that. No, I <laughs> yeah, I I agree. I agree. I also I haven't met Craig Conroy, but um, I've he did um, and there was an event I went to. Um, there you get to meet a couple of flame slayers i met mark giordano and he was the host and yeah like super nice guy from everything that i've seen like he seems awesome um and obviously i love that again back too um however the one thing that i'm worried about 
is I was talking to my dad about this, who was an Oilers fan, <laughs> and he was like, this seems very similar to what the Oilers did back when they had a bunch of former 80s Oilers in their front office, right? Like, they had Kevin Lowe in some sort of higher position. I think they had Messier as well. It's this kind of idea of you just, like, rebuilding, trying to attain that former it's the boys' club. Of, yeah, it's the boys' club. The former glory of these past Stanley Cup teams by putting them in higher positions. Penguins are another example of that. Yeah, I just feel like that never works out. I think the and biggest just, difference though is Conroy's been he's been the assistant general manager for the Flames for this is true. Ten years That's now. true. He it's does not have like, the experience. It's not like he didn't deserve it, right? Like he worked his way up. It's not like he was gifted this because his name is Craig Conroy. It's I true. I think it's that. True. I, that's the only argument I have against that. I don't disagree that it looks like a boys' club and probably is a boys' club, but, like, I mean, of all of them that have happened, I'd argue Craig Conroy probably has the most credentials, and I don't know. Maybe I'm just optimistic. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I agree. Like, we, do, we need to have a little bit of patience. Um, obviously, he needs to prove himself a little bit, but, uh, yeah, it's my one, like, worry about it going into it it's just that he uh, there's a pattern of hires that kind of seem like they're building towards that same kind of boys club that you, you know oilers and penguins have had and have not worked out well for them um because i feel like that just kind of leads to the same what i was talking about before this just constant mediocrity and never getting anywhere like we've been in for the last like 20 30 years um yeah for sure okay yeah. Speed run time. What are your thoughts on the Taylor Hall, Nick Foligno over, moving over to Chicago, giving them some veteran wingers to play with Bedard when you know when he gets drafted there? Obviously, it'll already have happened. I'm talking. I don't know yet. Maybe they'll take Crickin. I didn't say Crickin. Bleep that out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know what I mean. What are your thoughts on it? I thought this was weird. I thought this was really weird. I I don't know if I'm missing something. I just don't understand why Taylor Hall is going to Chicago. Chicago does not seem like the team that should be trading for anybody right now. I guess <laughs> they I got I I guess they want to like it'll help Bedard. It'll help Bedard to have yep. someone like Hall, which is probably the thinking behind it. It just it does seem a little bit weird <laughs> that they're yeah. buying um at, at least yeah. in this one move. Well, I don't think I don't we're going to see more of them buying. I think I think it's just going to be the one. They're just trying to bring in a veteran guy. I think it's also maybe there's a little bit there about bringing in a former first overall pick who can maybe give Bedard a little bit more guidance on dealing with the pressure, dealing with all of the mental parts that come with that type of those types of expectations. Obviously, for Hall, he had a lot of hype behind him too. I feel like there's something there about that, but there's also something there about just immediately putting Bedard on a line with a guy who is a former MVP has been there, done that and kind of give him a guy who can maybe help him, you know, figure it out in his first year in the league. Yeah. That's kind of, it's kind of them addressing the worry that I had about Chicago drafting Bedard in the first place is that they feel like they're draft. I feel like they're drafting Bedard a couple years too early. If you know what I mean? Like, that's why I would have been more, not necessarily excited because they're in in their division, but it would have felt like more of a good fit for him to go to Anaheim. 
because Anaheim feels like they have pieces already. They have yeah. Zegris, they have Troy Terry, they have John Gibson, maybe not for much longer, but they have him as of Probably now. Not. Um, but, like, Chicago has nothing. Chicago has literally nothing. <laughs> um, and so it just feels like Bedard with, like, a barren wasteland of nobody around him. Which is probably, which is, again, why they got Hall. But it just feels like you need a couple more of those young pieces before you get, like, the young superstar, right? That's what's yeah. going to kind of make building the Blackhawks back a little bit difficult, I think. And I don't think they're necessarily looking at it as bringing in Bedard is instantly going to turn the team around, because obviously it's not. And anybody, I've heard stuff, everybody's arguing about how many points Bedard's going to have in his first year, how good is he, yada, 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 yada. Obviously, with anything, it's impossible to know. Like, for all we know, he could have a 40-point rookie year, kind of have a down year, and then his second year have 120. Because that's just how these things are, yeah. right? That's, the first year, always take it with a grain of salt. That's kind of the way that I've always looked at it. Rookie seasons are tough. And I think even when there's high, especially when there's high expectations, and if you're Chicago, I definitely don't think you're looking at it as this this guy is going to be the thing next year. He's our superstar instantly. He is the guy who is going to rocket us to success. I think if he is a second-line center by the end of this year, that's a win for Chicago because it's just yeah. about developing the guy. And that's why, like I said, that's why you bring in vets. you got to bring in guys who are going to teach and show Bedard what it takes to be in the NHL. And Taylor Hall, he's been a star. He's been that guy for a lot of teams. Nick Foligno, he's obviously, he's captained a couple teams now. I don't, maybe a couple's wrong. I, th- I know he was, he was captain of Columbus. Yeah, I think that's I right. I think he was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. maybe. Yeah, that, I think that's right. Anyway, you bring in a guy who maybe can show some, show off some leadership for Bedard. You're you're bringing in guys who are going to be able to show him what it takes to make it in the NHL, and hopefully increase the chance that, while maybe at the end of this year he's a second line center, make sure that his ceiling is never in a second line center. You want because obviously if you're Chicago when you're drafting him, like I said, first year grain of salt. Second year though, you want to see the Bedard that everybody is hoping is coming and not, you know, Lafreniere. <laughs> or Lafreniere, yeah. sorry. Yeah, this is, that's true. Right the second time. I, <laughs> I think I, I, I completely agree. Like, I'm not expecting Bedard to, like, light the league on fire his first year. Um, I think, I, I think it could happen, but you can't have that expectation. But, um... You do? Frickin'. I, I can't have, no 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 you can't have that like I like I think it's possible oh, okay. I just think you can't expect I was going to ask you like after after that comment what is your point prediction official putting it okay. out there for the entire world <laughs> what's your prediction how many points is he going to have hmm that's tough I'm going to say <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot gonna, here after you said I'm that I'm going to I'm going to say I'm going to say 65 to 70 range yeah, I'm gonna say 65 to 70 range. I I, I do think I, he, I think he's I gonna agree. be very good. I agree. I think it's gonna be 70. That was my prediction, but I think there are a lot of people out there who, if Bedard gets 70 points in his rookie year, he is a bust. <laughs> and I feel Which like is that insane. expectation That's insane. is insane. Yeah, it's he's absolutely not gonna be, bonkers. He's not gonna be prime Wayne Gretzky from his first. He, well, game. the thing is, when people are doing that, they're comparing him to Connor McDavid. I'm sure. It's sure, true. like. As a prospect, Connor McDavid and Bedard, they are comparable. And Connor McDavid went on to have, before he got hurt, a really incredible rookie season. I still don't think that that's fair. Because 
Connor it's McDavid not. is such a he is such a one of a kind. Like there's a reason he instantly he's just so athletically gifted in his skating and his everything and he had that from the beginning, right? So and while Bedard does have, you know, toe drag release and all the memes, he does not necessarily have that incredible incredible speed that McDavid has or like any of the athletics or anything like that. I'm not saying that he's not incredibly gifted. I'm saying that like the athleticism that made McDavid so incredible straight from the get-go isn't necessarily there for Bedard, at least not to the same level. So I have a harder time saying instantly Bedard's going to go out there and Bedard's also undersized. You have to realize that not a lot of people are talking about that, but he is. He's, he's 18. Like he's younger than us. Yeah. I, yeah, of course. That's the thing. That and, was the issue with Shane Wright last year, is that he's yeah. an like, 18, 19-year-old kid going into a league full of, like, 28, 29, 30, up to, like, 40-year-olds, right? Yeah. You are not physically the same as, like, everybody no, else. You are undersized and, just because you're not old enough. Like, And that was the difference that made McDavid so crazy, is because he made all of these 25-year-olds in their prime look like they were 40, <laughs> Right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's the thing that made... Like, and he was doing that since he was 18. And mm-hmm. the thing is, I you cannot look at me and tell me that Bedard has that same skating ability. Even if he has the shot, we'll still have to see if he can instantly turn that. Because the thing is, you can have is an incredible of a shot, incredible puck skills, all that. But the NHL is just different. Because you have to... Be, at a certain point, it's less how good of a shot you're is and more when you know how to use it and all that. I don't, you know what I mean. Like, hockey no, IQ that's... is so much more important, in my opinion. And we're going to have to see, obviously, people have talked about how smart of a player Bedard is. We're going to have to see if he can transition that into the NHL and how quick he can do that. But that's why I kind of have a hard time. I think he'll succeed, just to be clear. I'm throwing everything that I, when I, that I think of when I think of that stuff on the table. I think that these are the things that you should be talking about, but I do think he will overcome. Yeah, no, I I think so too. I think it's just gonna it's gonna be a learning curve just because it it has to be like. McDavid McDavid had a unique skill set that made him, um, uniquely prepared to, play in a league full of people bigger and stronger than him. Um, even <coughs> then, he still got hurt his first year, yeah. and, um, missed half the season. It it happens. It's just not a league built for these younger players yet. There's a reason that 90% of the names you're going to hear announced in the next like couple hours are not going to see any playing time with their teams until three years from now. This is not yeah. the NFL where you're drafting kids out of college. You're drafting kids out of high school. And that there's a big difference in that. Like, huge difference. Yeah, for sure. And I think the... The biggest thing is, obviously, you just mentioned that McDavid got hurt, and McDavid was 6-1 out of his rookie season, right? He's still a tall guy, mm-hmm. like, at least, you know what I mean. And, uh, <laughs> like, he's still tall by most people's standards. Bedard is, like, I, and I'm currently looking this up. Bedard is, I believe, five foot ten, which, three inches, what's that, obviously, when it comes to height? I, are you really... I don't know. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know. When I when I see somebody who's 5'10 going into the NHL at 18, my immediate instinct is that obviously there's a little bit of fear there. We've seen we've seen smaller guys now succeed with Cole Caulfield, 
Johnny Goudreau, that kind of thing. I mean, Johnny Goudreau took a little bit more time for him to get there, but we've seen young, smaller guys succeed now, but it's still, you know, there's obviously still the scare there, as you mentioned, or the fear. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Speaking of uh, young players, although maybe not as young anymore, do you want to talk about the uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois trade? We probably should. We probably should, yeah. (laughs) gonna be a two-hour podcast everybody stay get strapped in you're gonna be here for a while <laughs> oh yeah and we, we've just hit one sport so far you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> you ain't seen nothing <laughs> okay but well yeah, what are what are what are your initial thoughts on the pierre-luc dubois I, really I know like the like what maybe maybe just start with your thoughts on dubois as a player what he um, brings to I cannot say I've watched a lot of Dubois, obviously, because I can't say I've watched a lot of Jets games. But personally, I've always liked. I've what I know of him is he's a fairly defensive. Fo- he's a defensive forward. He's a guy who can really has that good two hundred foot game. He's really good in anywhere on the ice. He's one of those reliable players. And I pers- I've always liked those kinds of guys, and I personally love it for the Kings because they they're bringing in another guy, another center who can probably be. Right now, he's probably a second-line center. He can be a first-line center if he hits that. He still has some potential that he hasn't shown yet. I really like it for them. I I like it for Winnipeg as well. Obviously, they got uh, Gabriel Villardi, who a lot of people are mm. arguing is just as good as Dubois. I mm. which is which is interesting to me because I don't agree. Yeah. But he's I mean, young. I like it for both sides. He's young, yeah. I I, I like it for both sides, definitely. I think yeah, it's a pretty even I, trade. Definitely the most even out of the three. I'd agree. And to, to kind of touch on the Toffoli stuff, they the to look at the return that Dubois got. The biggest um, difference is Dubois sex, is twenty four. That's that's yeah, the no, immediate that, counter that's I'm true. gonna throw out there. No, 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 no. That's true. But it's the same kind of thing. It's even more so to where Dubois. We've known for a like a year that Dubois was not signing in Winnipeg. That's the that's the other difference too that you can throw it to Foley, like there's it up in the air. It was more like the last like week or so that it was it got out that maybe he's not returning. D- Dubois has been like, Yeah, I'm in like freaking Winnipeg. Nobody wants to be here. I want out. Uh, and so like I don't know. Just looking at, at that move to Toffoli, I'm just like, uh, I wish I could have had that similar return. Because I think the, the return fu- that they got was, was really good. Um, the funny thing is that I don't remember which player the Winnipeg got that said this, but one of them came out and said that he's happy they're go- he's going to Winnipeg because they don't really have hockey fans in L.A. That's yeah, no, I, I saw that. I saw which that. I, I can't remember which one said that. But uh, was, it, was, it, was it I follow? I feel like it might have been I follow. Maybe. But I feel like that's kind of the interesting thing there with, like, obviously nobody wants to necessarily go to Winnipeg. That's, I feel bad saying that. But, um, I mean, it is still a hockey city. And if you, if that's what's important to you, then you're going to you're gonna succeed in Winnipeg. You're going to succeed in a Canadian city, right? But if you like warm weather and beaches, you're not going to like Winnipeg as much. And obviously, we're kind of pure loot. Pierre-Luc Dubois might be a beach guy. That's what we're learning. I think he might be. He might be. Uh, which I, I think is fair. And I think... I think. Oh, I, I'm nothing du- du- nothing wrong with beaches. Nothing wrong with beach guy. Um, 
nothing wrong with not wanting to live in Winnipeg. I think that's very fair. <laughs> but nothing wrong with I, Oh no, not at all. But I think <laughs> for 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 the for the Kings, like this is kind of the perfect move for them too, right? Because they they are the exact kind of team that should be buying players like Dubois now, right? It's the same kind of like that's kind of the you can see the two parallels between this Calgary, New Jersey trade and this Winnipeg, LA trade. New Jersey and LA are on the upswing. They've they've been bad for a while. They've got the young talent. Now is their time to buy. They are getting these players. They're getting to Foley. They're getting Dubois. They're getting these players that are going to get them over the hump of the first, second round and start to actually contend for a Stanley Cup if all goes right. Whereas Winnipeg and Calgary are clearly on the downswing. They are going to be the, like, bottom dwellers of the next few years because their championship window is slammed shut um they do they have some players still yeah winnipeg still made the playoffs calgary had more points in the regular season than the eventual eastern conference champion but at the same time you're looking at these teams were buoyed up by older veteran players like huberto kadri lindholm and um the prospects that we have, well, promising are unproven. Um, so that that's kind of like I, I find the parallels really interesting between those two, and I think I think it's exactly the right kind of deal for. I think I think the Toffoli trade was the right kind of deal for New Jersey. I think Dubois is perfect for LA. Um, I think the Jets got as much as they could. I think Calgary could have got more out of all of those teams. I think Calgary is the one that I'm most <laughs> disappointed about. Which That's I think usually... could be could be could be biased because I'm looking at it from a fan perspective. But yeah, for sure. And uh, I guess I'll since obviously we've been talking about this for 36 minutes. I say I say I'm going to end it off with a question: How good? Mm-hmm. Who? Which team do? You, well, you know what? Actually, I know the answer to that personally. But uh, which? How good do you think LA is going to be next year? Do you th- do you see them as winning the Pacific, or do you see them as maybe just being a upper tier playoff team or maybe making the wild card what do you what are you seeing from this i don't team? i don't see them i don't see them winning the pacific because they have a lot of competition they have competition in edmonton they have competition in las vegas um like i think either of those teams is probably going to take the division however um in la if your prospects keep developing if quinn byfield turns into what a second overall pick should be um then you've got a young, promising team that can make a run for it. They took the... I, I, I forget how long that... I'm pretty sure they took the Oilers to six. And there was a few... Like, the Oilers had that giant comeback. They could have beaten Edmonton. If they Maybe if they have Dubois and you play that series again, they beat Edmonton. Right? It's that... It's building a team that's built to succeed in the playoffs. Right? And that's kind of the difference. I think they'll do better than they did last year. Do I see them winning the Pacific? I think there are teams that are better. But do I think they have the opportunity to maybe finish second in the Pacific and then kind of make a run for it, win a round or two? Yeah, I think they do. I think they've maybe got a year or two until they like peak, but it's definitely the start of something special in L.A. Yeah, and I definitely agree with you. I think that, honestly, this is probably three trades who, or three trades where there's, not necessarily a huge loser, other than maybe Calgary, depending on where you land on that. But uh, anyway, I think this is kind of 
all every team is sort of winning a little. Everybody's kind of getting what they need. And obviously, like I said, the draft will have already happened. And uh, we'll see what happens with that. But as of right now, these, these are probably the three biggest trades that happen. Obviously, there was Montreal getting new hook. And I'm sure we could talk another 20 minutes about that, but probably ended with hockey here. <laughs> anyway. Shout yeah. out shout out Ivan Barbashev for the five-year extension. You go Damn get right. that bag. Damn right. So last week, we're gonna we're a little late on this one, but the Hockey Hall of Fame announced its 2023 inductees. And uh, while there was a couple names that I was happy to see, on personally, I wanted Henrik Lundqvist to get in there. Mike Vernon was a surprise for me personally, but it's still awesome to see. Ken Hitchcock, another one that's awesome to see. But there's also quite a few guys who were left off that were pretty surprising to me. Yeah, it's true. I... Go, going down the list, a few of them that were surprising to me that they weren't already in. Um, Theo Fleury, Jeremy Roenick, Keith Kachuk. Uh, and then... Well, Theo Fleury's been a controversial one for a while. In, Keith Kachuk, In yeah. terms of... Like, there are quite a few names in there. Like, you can go on and on. It's true. It's true. I mean, Theo, Theo Fleury, obviously, with his... Him, him off the ice, as of recently, maybe warrants a little bit of hesitation. But for his playing career... Um, at least as a Flames fan, um, you definitely kind of look at that and think, like, hey, if, if Mike Vernon got in, maybe Flurry can get in a little bit later down the line. Um, but o- over overall, um, it is a good class. I think everybody everybody in there is definitely deserving of it, right? It's the Lundqvist was the was the obvious first ballot Hall of Fame type guy. Um, Ver- Vernon is. Um, it, it, it's surprising, but glad that he got in. Um, underrated goalie from yep. Cal- Calgary's heyday, because people forget that just because of how good the Oilers were, the Flames were um, like almost as good, because they provided the the rivalry for them in the '80s. And Vernon was their goalie that entire time, right? Um, some very good Flames teams in the '80s, um, and yeah, Ken, Ken Hitchcock obviously all of the great success that he's had as a coach, you'd love love to see a guy like him get into the, the hall. Yeah, for sure. It's always great to see when coaches like that get in, when they're just... Obviously, Ken Hitchcock, he had over 1,500 games coached in the NHL. He has a Stanley Cup victory with the Dallas Stars, and right now I sound like I'm just reading off his Wikipedia. But obviously... A guy who really, really deserves it. There's a lot, like you said, everybody on here, first ballot. In almost every single case, or every single case, or I don't know why I even said almost. And the fun, But the funny thing is, is, it's the thing that's always stuck out to me whenever this time always comes around every year where they announce who's going in. It almost feels like they should be letting in more people per year. Because there's so many guys who also deserve to be first ballot, right? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, another name, I mean, Curtis Joseph, Zetterberg. Like, there's so many guys on there that are just... It's interesting to me how they didn't get in as well. Like, there's... there it, To me, I personally feel like Zetterberg, for example, that's the big one, stuck out to me over everyone else. He probably deserves to get in there, too. Yeah, I definitely think he does. Um, and I, I agree with that in terms of how small the, the Hockey Hall of Fame classes are. In comparison to, to other sports, I know we're, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, I'm pretty sure, does more players per year. I don't know about basketball. The only sport that may be more restrictive is baseball, but they've got their own weird, terrible yeah. system where sometimes they don't. Baseball. Sometimes weird. they don't even yeah. like get anybody <laughs> in the Hall of Fame, right? Like it. 
Um, yeah. So at least we're better than that, but it does seem like a little bit of a small class because there's lots of players that you think are deserving and um, like feel like they deserve a spot in the Hall of Fame but just aren't. I think it's interesting now, for me at least, because we're starting to get into the era... It's with Lundqvist now and then, like, Aginla last year, where it's players that I grew up watching. Yeah. And I think that's what makes this interesting. <laughs> Which is weird. It makes you feel old, right? Like, it's... <laughs> yeah, a little. It's yeah. weird to... But, I mean, it's always nice. Yeah. Like, oh, Zetterberg especially. Like, Lundqvist deserves uh, Or, not Zetterberg. Uh, Lundqvist, Lundqvist especially. Like, like he he was yeah. still playing not that long ago, right? It feels weird that he's in the, yeah. the Hall of Fame. But, absolutely deserving. It is. Absolutely deserving. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, if anybody deserves to be a first ballot Hall of Famer for goaltending, it's Lundqvist. He's one of those guys who, for close to two decades, was one of the most solid goaltenders in the NHL. That Stanley Cup evaded him, but you know, it wasn't like, wasn't his fault. That, I don't it think wasn't that's his too, fault. <laughs> it was not his fault. Yeah, that's true. There, he like he's one of those guys who really does deserve to get it. And so does everybody on here. There's a lot of... When I look at all these names, I can't see a single one I disagree with. I agree. Um, let's, like... And that's one of those things. There's always so many people who can get it. It's true. <laughs> or who deserve it's it. It's true. Speaking yeah. of... Um, so, Lundqvist, obviously, the only first-year eligible that eventually got in. Simon, I'm going to read you off some names of some other first-year... This is players who... It was their first year of eligibility. And you let me know if any of them you think we'll get in at some point in the next, let's say, like, five to ten years. Um, so let's start off. Okay. I'll, I'll just I'll just read them all off. We got Corey Crawford, Jay Bomeister, yep. Justin Williams, mm. Andre Markoff, Dustin Bufflin, mm. Brent Seabrook. Any of those you think will get in? Um, Williams... And Bo Meister are both kind of tough to me because I don't necessarily feel like they... I guess Williams has a bit more of a resume with his kind of... He, he won a couple cups in there. He was pretty clutch in the finals. Bo Meister, and this is coming, again, both Flames fans here. I have a hard time saying Bo Meister is a Hall of Famer. I don't think he's... He's Hall of really good. Yeah. I'd say I'd Bo agree. Meister. I'd agree. He was, he was always a very good defensive defenseman. On every team he played on, he played a big part in that St. Louis Cup. Like, he was always a very, very serviceable defenseman his entire career, but he was never a standout guy for any team he was on. Which is why, like, you, I don't fully believe that that type of consistency is what... If you put Bomeister in there, that opens the gates for... I Yeah, I'd agree. A thousand other consistent defensemen for who had 15-year careers who also would deserve to get in, right? So I have a hard time with him, but... Williams, I wouldn't. You wouldn't hear me angry about that, but I personally know. But I would. You would. I wouldn't be mad about it. I'd understand. And like, I'm. I'm trying to remember the names you mentioned. Yeah. Crawford, I agree with. Goaltender, goaltender won a cup, deserves it. Corey Crawford, one hundred percent. Brent Seabrook. That's another tough one to me. I don't. I don't know if I necessarily would say. No, I don't think so. I don't know if I'd put Seabrook in there. He's another guy who's Hall of really good. For almost the exact same thing I said for Bomeister, I think. Yeah. Because, again, another pretty solid defensive defenseman. One of those guys, but one once again, Hall of pretty good. And who else did you say in there? Bufflin? Bufflin, yeah. 
Bufflin's so hard for me. Yeah. Because when I think of Bufflin, I think of, like, flashy big hits. Yeah. Like, just tank of a shot. Like, one of those guys. But, like, did he really do anything that deserves to put him in the hall? And that's where I kind of have a... I think, I think I for know. him, I'm not, I'm... for him, it's longevity is the issue. Because he flamed out really yeah. fast. You ever? I, I feel like I had this. Yep. I, I had this conversation with somebody where I was just like, "Where did he go? He was like one of the top defensemen. Yeah, and then he, he retired. Young. And then he yeah. just disappeared. I think that's the biggest thing. Yep. That um, like maybe like if he had done what a lot of other players do and just kind of like ring chase the last couple of years of his career and win another Stanley Cup, maybe he's <laughs> just let himself. Fizzle. Yeah, maybe he would be like he he pile up some more stats. He'd um, have another Stanley Cup to his resume. Maybe have another like Eric Carlson resurgence type year. Like I, I think maybe then you'd been be in the conversation. But as of now, I think it's tough. He played. He played at the. He no. played at the. Oh. He played at the level. I think, where you could say hockey all the fit. Like for me, my yeah, my probably. my just not long. Enough. Yes, I agree. I think for me, the way I'm looking at it, at least for the players that I've watched. It's like, were these players, like, one of the top, like, 25? Like, if you were like, oh, name NHL players, would they be among the, f- the first 25 <laughs> you'd name? That's where I kind of be like, like... right now. Yeah. So, like, yeah. if, you, if okay. you think, if you're, yeah, if you're thinking of it right now, like, which kind of players would you name? It's like, oh, Connor McDavid, like, he's going to be in there someday. Like, Sidney Crosby, Alex Ovechkin, they're going to be in there someday. It's just like, who do you think of immediately? Because those guys are did generally... We, did we miss anybody? Who else did you name there? For, could have got in first year. Uh, the one that I missed, Who's Andre that? Markov. I don't know too much about him. Right. Okay. He spent 16 um, seasons in Montreal. Yeah, I was going to say, you know what's the funny thing? Another really, really good defensive defenseman. And, I mean... These guys all, I, I, no. I really agree with your like, assessment. Like, Hall of really good. Like, there's yeah, there's, there's really no yeah. no um, shame to any of these players because they had, like, excellent God, no. NHL careers. Like, they were awesome. Bitch, I feel so weird. I feel really weird saying no to Markov because I would put him a tier above Bomeister, I think. But still, mm, I, I don't know if I'd... No. He's, he's still not Hall of Fame to me. Because I can't... If you... I can't think of what he did in his career that, like, puts him on another level. You know what I mean? Because I think a Hall of Fame player, like you said... I don't know if I, I... I definitely agree with your sentiment of... If you can think of them in the first 25 players you can name. I think that's definitely a very good way to look at it. I also think, like, a Hall of Famer should just be someone who, when you think of them, it shouldn't be controversial. Yeah. It should be someone who goes, yeah, that guy, he sh- he's in there. Yeah. Right? Like, it shouldn't be it shouldn't be a guy where I have to sit here and go, mm, I don't know. Like, that's that feels weird to me. I don't know if that's just as a whole. And it doesn't... Especially... I don't know. It doesn't sit right with Especially me. when... Um, especially when there's so many players that aren't in that you could go right now and be yeah. like, that's a Hall of Famer. Henrik Zetterberg. Because if we're talking favorite. just play, just playing career without like any of the politics, any of the thousands of things that happened prior, Theo, Theo Fleury, Hall of Fame, anybody you just mentioned, yeah, like like yeah. like I, but he did. He also had his. I I don't know. I don't know. You you could 
if we go down that rabbit hole with the O'Flurry, we're going to be talking for 45 minutes about whether somebody's off-ice life should impact their resume as a player. And it's it's also tough for him because a lot a of it was... Days. It's the Barry Bonds. It's the Barry Bonds yeah. argument. Except and a lot of it for Flurry was after like, he left hockey. Like, most of his... I think I think he was also the reason he left, though. That's also true. Back. That's also true. I, I know in terms yeah, of, like, like, his political stuff that really went off the rails, like, recently. He's he's always been, he's always been <laughs> that's, troubled. That's not, that's not even what I'm, that's not even what I'm talking about, though. Because, like, obviously political beliefs should not impact all of it. No, that's but more like he's conspiracy about. and he, he, he's, he's okay. gone. And, no, I, I, I know I've read, um, I read his book, which I found, um, I'm going to drop a name drop a hockey book at multiple point or hockey or football book multiple points or at this podcast. But yeah, like I read his book. It was very interesting. <laughs> um yeah. it's uh it's on my list. It's really good. It's really good. Yeah. Um you do I've you do it. gain yeah. an appreciation for all that he's been through. Um like his life was was rough. Oh, like yeah. he's been through some awful stuff. We, so you almost yeah, have to take that into consideration. We don't need to get, get into it on. That. Yeah, obviously, yeah, obviously, we don't need to get obviously into not. It on Look it up. Ob- yeah, obviously, but, like uh, read, read the book if you can. Like I, I can recommend the book um, if you're interested. But you do have yeah. to take that into consideration too, right? Like situationally, yeah. um, it's very interesting. It's it definitely makes for one of the more complicated uh, cases for whether a player should get in or not. Yeah, for sure. And he's, there's not a lot of those in hockey, I feel like. He's the big one. He's the, and the funny thing is, obviously, it's not his first year of uh, being able to get in. It's been quite a while. He's always the one name that comes up every year that really, there's always a conversation about it. But he's another guy, if I'm being honest with you, I don't know if I see him getting in the Hall of Fame. I feel Playing career-wise, I think he deserves it. I think he did more than enough to get in. But I think that there's so many different things there that like stick out to me that really make it hard for me to conduct them. And I think the NHL sees it that way too, and that's why he's not already in there. So maybe if like down the road there's like something something changes, maybe. But maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But uh, just off the just looking at it, like the situation we currently have, I don't see him getting it. Yeah, I. I could agree. It's I, the I same think, thing with Barry Bonds. I think I think he'll get in. I think Barry Bonds is harder, um, because Barry Bonds faces. You think so? Just because of the, just because of the system that I think Barry Bonds is a better player. Oh. But okay. because of how baseball yeah, does yeah, their yeah. Hall of Fame, <laughs> like it, it's going to be nearly impossible because of how how much more unanimous it needs to be for someone to get in the Hall of Fame. Um, Barry Bonds doesn't have yeah. it. He's, and Barry Bond will, he's, will he, forever be a 50-50 Yes, he's like like me personally. I think, I think he should, but I can see the case where you're like, no, um, he shouldn't. Like it, it's one of those things. That if we want to go down, it would it would take forever. We can go down the Barry Bonds rabbit hole another time. Yeah, because I think we we could probably have a conversation on that. I actually agree with you. I think he, I I think he just played in an era that there was a lot of guys on steroids, mm-hmm. so it's kind of hard. It, I don't want to say it cancels out, but it's, you know, like, again, we can go down this rabbit hole. Yeah, it's a... <laughs> Another time. We, de- we definitely can. It, I think for, for to kind of wrap that up and connect it to what we were talking about before, it's because for baseball in the 2000s, Barry Bonds is, like, the name, right? L- like, oh, yeah. and that's the kind of thing... The funny thing is, take the steroids out of the conversation. He's Gretzky. Yeah. It's... It's probably the truth. Like the dude hit more home runs 
than anybody. And he was just that he was terrible. Oh yeah. Right? Like he was Mike Tyson. I'll, like he was that guy. He was. And like um I'll plug uh so. I'll plug one of my favorite uh YouTube videos. It's uh by by John Boys. If you don't if you don't oh. know John Boys, awesome, awesome stuff. Uh, he made a video of how Barry Bonds would perform in one of his top seasons if he didn't have a bat. So the, 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 I've seen that. Yeah. It's, it's great because it's, uh, (laughs) the, the idea is the pitchers don't know that he doesn't have a bat, but he, he doesn't have a bat. So he can't swing at literally anything. He's got a hologram. He has a hologram bat. Um, and he still is one of the best, um, players in the league like oh, yeah. by a considerable margin because he was walked that which much. is insane yeah. it's insane um but yeah again he, that that's another that's, we that's another rabbit hole that we can go down when we're actually talking <laughs> yeah, we about can baseball. we can spend we can spend 20 minutes talking about barry bonds and how incredible his baseball career is and yeah no to, to to wrap up that barry bonds is very good watch the john boys video and any other john boys video if you can he is has so much cool stuff out there um but yeah Read Theo Fleury's Read book. Read Theo Fleury's book. Congrats to all the new Hall of Famers. Yeah. Better luck next time to all the people who also deserve it. This is true. Yada yada yada. Interesting to see who they'll get in next year, and one and I wonder who um will be eligible next year. It's interesting to see because all of the players that are, all of the players that we went through in terms of first year eligibility, like I've, I've watched all of those players. So it'll be really interesting to see what this conversation is like when we talk again like next year uh so uh looking around transitioning our focus to the nba i just have one thing to say who the hell is tingus pingus i don't even know about fucking latinia uh christoph's porzingis has been traded to the celtics um after a couple of attempts from the celtics to acquire him uh they attempted a three-team trade with the Clippers, um, and ultimately it fell through because Malcolm Brogdon had injury concerns, and after that it kind of looked like it wouldn't go through at all, but they were able to make it happen, uh, swapping out Brogdon for Marcus Smart, um, and the Clippers dropped out of the deal, and instead of them, the Grizzlies swung in, and they were the third team in the deal, um, which is def- definitely an interesting piece for the Celtics to add. You know, they um, came close to the NBA Finals. They've kind of been on the cusp of reaching or getting a championship for a little while now. And you think Porzingis is the one thing that they'd kind of need to get over the, the hump. Uh, and so my question to you, Simon, would be, uh, do you think Porzingis will be that piece for them? Do you think this is what pushes them to... A championship or do you think it's another kind of lateral move for them i'm not really sure to be honest with you because i think that i think it is a really really good good addition all over because obviously Porzingis he's solid everywhere on the court he had a block and a half per game last year pretty solid in the paint the one interesting thing is the celtics already have a lot of big men they already have al horford they already have robert williams and i don't know if i Porzingis is probably better than both of them i feel like yeah he's yeah he's better than both of them and i why obviously it is an improvement but i don't know if it's an improvement they necessarily needed i feel like he would have been fine with al horford down there but i mean adding the he average he's average we were talking about this before he's averaged between 20 to 23 points per game for the last five years 
And obviously bringing that onto the team is going to be awesome. I feel like the Celtics are going to really benefit from that. But at the same time, you're also losing, not arguably, your best defensive player, especially on in the backcourt, in Marcus Smart, who averages, a, again, block and a half, or steal and a half, sorry, and was probably guarding the best guard on the other side of the, on the other teams for most of the time. So I'm just curious, who's going to replace Smart defensively for the Celtics? That's interesting to me. And, um, I mean, I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I hated it at the beginning, I will say that. Because, uh, and we did talk about this again, the DC effect. I did not realize Porzingis had been averaging 23 points last year. And I don't know how I didn't, because, obviously, a guy like Porzingis averaging 23 points, if he was still on the Knicks, you'd be hearing about that all the time. But because he's playing for the Wizards, who cares, right? So it's it's, it's really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I I I personally think it's kind of you. You mentioned lateral as one of the options. I feel like it's kind of it's not a big enough improvement for me to say that it's going to be the game changing move that takes them to the next level. But it's not. It's also definitely not a bad move. Yeah, you wonder how much of it was made out of desperation too. Because if you're looking at a, at that original trade where they don't give up Marcus Smart and they get to keep him, like how like do you think that would be? less of a lateral move and more of an actual improvement if they give up um, Malcolm Brogdon instead of Marcus Smart? I would definitely say that would have been a better move for the Celtics. I think Brogdon is not as... While he's still a great player in his own right, not as much as a defensive guy. And obviously, the way I look at it is you trade Brogdon instead, and you're trading an offensive guy for an offensive guy. Right, you're you're trading Brogdon and bringing in another guy who's going to replace his points. And while Porzingis is going to do that in a half by for what he brings in to replace Marcus Smart, because he doubles Smart in point per game average, but that's not the point, right? It's not the important thing. It's obviously the defensive presence that Marcus Smart brings, and who's going to step up to replace that is the thing that I keep bring going back to whenever I think that. So you again asked like. Uh, if I would have preferred to trade Brogdon, hell yeah. I would have moved Brogdon in a heartbeat over Marcus Smart because Marcus Smart is also a guy, he's been a Celtic his entire career. He's a loyal guy. He wanted to retire a Celtic. You like All the all the things that came out about the trade are saying that Marcus Smart was devastated about it and obviously wanted to stay with the Celtics, but that's that's the game. That's basketball. So yeah. That's that, I guess. You wonder how much of it was made out of desperation after the first one fell through. Because it was done so yeah. quickly, right? Um, I remember just kind of checking the score again and again and again throughout the day, just kind of keeping up with the news, seeing at about like noon that the first trade had gone through, seeing at about like 8 p.m. that it had fallen through, it wasn't going to happen, and then only like two hours later, um, the real trade was announced with Smart going to the Grizzlies. Um, which I think is yeah. interesting how quickly they were able to rebound and get another team in on it. Like how, I think, I think it's a really good trade for the Grizzlies. I'd argue, they're bringing after obviously everybody's heard about John Morant's going to be out for the first twenty five games. They're bringing in a guy who I cannot replace John Morant. John Morant is one of the best point guards in the league, but you're bringing in a guy who is better defensively. And of all people to bring in to replace John Morant, I'm sure that's not the worst. They, that's not a terrible 
guy to bring in. He's a very, very good backup point guard when John Morant comes back. Maybe he can even sneak into the starting lineup and play shooting guard. Who knows? But um, I I think it'll be interesting to see how they use it. Yeah, it definitely will be. And you kind of look at it and think, like, if there's any real winner of the trade, that might be the Grizzlies. Because look at what the, the Wizards didn't get back too much either. They got Tyus Jones from the Grizzlies, Danilo Gall- Galliarni from the Celtics, as well as Mike Muscala and the 30, 35th pick in the draft. Like, they're not getting too much, and they dealt the biggest name in the draft, right? Whereas the Grizzlies are getting Marcus Smart, the Celtics are getting Porzingis, the 25th pick in the draft, and another first-round pick, um, which is quite interesting. So they're getting Porzingis and a couple firsts. Um, but really, like, what are the Wizards getting from this, right? Like, you, you wonder okay. why they make that deal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah, I'm not too sure on that one. I'd say, I'd say, I don't know. I'd say, actually, after looking at it a bit more, I'd say the Celtics one. Getting Porzingis and two firsts is a hell of a pull, to be honest with you. And, I mean, again, you're losing your best defensive player, but who knows? If you can find the right guy to step up and replace him, then it works out for everybody. Mm-hmm. I wonder... And, I like, and like I did mention, the Grizzlies are also winning there. They're getting a very, very solid player, too. This is true. They, uh... The, the two first-round picks kind of got lost in the shuffle, right? You don't... When you hear, um... How this was covered, it was all about Perzingas and Smart, but... The fact that the Celtics were able to get two first-round picks for that, that adds quite a bit, right? And they- Yeah, for sure. It's definitely it's definitely a big part of it. It's not the first thing that stuck out to me, like you said, but it's definitely a little bit of an extra push for me to say that they probably want it. Although, like I said, it's tough for me because I really think that a defensive guard like Marcus Smart can be so valuable to these contending teams when you need to defend guys going up the Eastern Conference, you're talking like, oh, who, like all these elite guards on the Eastern side. It's it's so hard to find the right guy to do that. And Marcus Smart was capable of doing that. And now you are trying, now you're going to have to find a new guy to slide into that role. And I don't think the Celtics are going to have an easy time doing that at all. Yeah. I find, I find this interesting. So I'm not really sure how this, so... The webs on NBA.com. I'm looking. The Grizzly. It says that the Celtics received the 25th pick in the draft. I don't know how accurate that is though, because looking at the the draft from today, the Grizzlies still owned the pick. That's interesting. Um, that is interesting. I don't know on that. Let's see. It could, could it have been uh or that would make sense. I'm not sure. Let me let me see. I know this is this is part of the whole story too is how messy this trade was, right? There were so many pieces going going back and forth. Yeah, I'm still seeing that the, the yeah, Celtics supposedly I'm looking at the entire thing and it's it's pretty confusing. Yeah, the Celtics supposedly <laughs> I mean, received the 25th overall pick, but uh in the actual draft, the the Grizzlies are the one who who picked they picked Marcus Sasser point hmm. guard from Houston. Yeah, that is interesting. Well, overall, I said who I think won it. I think it's close. I think it's the Celtics. I think that the Grizzlies are close, 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 close second, though. Who do you think won? Yeah, I'd probably agree with you. Um, 
Although it it'll be interesting to see how um how smart does in Memphis because that'll be once John Morant comes back is he the thing that kind of puts that team over yeah. the top um, that extra defensive he seems like the perfect kind of depth player that they need to provide the defensive support I definitely agree with that yeah because I when I think of John Morant I do think he's not a bad defender by any mean but he's definitely not he's he's an average defender right like you're not going to get anything special on the defensive side from John Morant but you slide Marcus Smart in there at shooting guard to maybe cover the point guard instead, and all of a sudden, it's a different story, right? All of a sudden, you're a lot better off, I'd argue. But uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they utilize him, because who knows? Marcus Smart is a decently... He's not a... I don't believe he's a small guy either. So he's... I I don't think... I feel like he can guard a lot of different players. And Oh, he's... Yeah, he's 6'4". That's not bad. He can definitely still guard a small forward and... Like, there's a lot of different ways that a player like him can be used. And I, like you said, I think it's going to be interesting to see how the Grizzlies use mm-hmm. it. So, okay, I, I'll, I'll, before we end it, I'll clear up the, the confusion. I, I think I, I figured out what happened. It, it is confusing. So, the original okay. trade was that Boston got the 25th overall pick. They set the, the trade, the po- because that trade happened during the draft, after the draft began, um, for it says the trades are not confirmed until the next day. So they, um, the Grizzlies traded the pick to the Celtics so, before the draft happened, and then, and then the Celtics told them who to take. No, the Celtics, and then oh. they made another trade with that pick, sending it to Detroit. So Detroit acquired the draft rights to Marcus Sasser, who was taken with the twenty-fifth pick. And then Boston acquired the rights to the player that the Pistons took, as well as two future second-round picks. So, in the end, Boston got a future first-round pick in 2024. Um, the player that Detroit took, who I believe was at the start of the like second round, and two future second-round picks. So, it's basically three second-round picks, a first-round pick, and Porzingis was the return for Boston. Very complicated, but that's how it ultimately played out. Okay. <laughs> Can I be honest with you? Yeah. You lost me a minute ago. But the important thing, Celtics got a couple... They, it sounds like everybody got their guy, everybody wins. Simon doesn't need <laughs> that's, that's the That's the important thing. As we're kind of in the depths of the NFL offseason, not too much to talk about. This is kind of the start of the year, start of the time of year where people will start throwing out position rankings, throwing out rank power, off-season power rankings, how they think each team will do, um, and starting to see some conversation around the New England Patriots. Um, some There's a recent ranking that came out by Bill Barnwell, I believe, that ranked their overall position group talent, I think, 2026th. 20, um, yep. And that's got some people up in arms. Uh because they have, they do have some. Ta- they got some talent on the roster. They've got Hunter Henry. They've got Mike Kosicki at tight end, probably one of the deepest tight end rooms in the league. They've got Juju. They've got Devonte Parker, and then Mac Jones is kind of the enigma behind it all. Um, what do you kind of think of the Patriots going into next year? I think they're one of the teams that's hardest to grasp, and I think it's kind of fair to place them anywhere from that bottom half of the league to somewhere in the middle. What are your thoughts about how they'll do next season? 
I mean, it completely just depends on how good, if Mac Jones can bounce back. And I obviously, like you just said, and you pointed out that Barnwell ranked him 26th. I feel like that's pretty fair. But I think the interesting thing is they were 26th last year as well, which the only, which is the only reason I have a hard time kind of, because I don't think, I think they did improve. That's the one thing, right? Like you look at, they added Smith-Schuster who, say what you want about him, but I personally still think he's a good receiver. I think that he could be a pretty good piece for them. Mike Jasicki, Hunter Henry, obviously. That's you said that they, that might be one of the best tight end groups. I'd argue it probably is the deepest tight end room. I can't even think of another room that has two tight ends like that on the same roster, right? I feel like there's a lot of things here. Like there's, I feel like for the offense anyway, all the pieces are there for Mac Jones. I think it's just whether you can put them all together and turn them turn to having another. It, how this entire the Patriots' future completely relies on how good Mac Jones does this year. The pressure's on, mm-hmm. all that. I could say a thousand different things. The biggest thing that'll determine everything is just how good Mac Jones can do with what he has. And he had a good rookie year, right? Last year yep. was just such a step back for him from where he was. That's what has people concerned. And you can tell it has sophomore Bill Belichick. Sl- sophomore yeah. slump. You can tell it has Bill Belichick concerned too, or else we wouldn't have seen Bailey Zappi get any playing time. But... Of course, they benched him midway through the season. They had Zappi play a couple of games. Um, it really shows a lack of confidence in Mac from Bill. It's and it's really and just to throw something out there. What do you think the odds are of us seeing Bailey Zappi again this year by like week eight? Pretty high, I'd say pretty high. Pretty high? Uh yeah. So you're not high on Mac Jones then? I'm I'm not. I think he has potential to be your perfect kind of game manager quarterback. He's not. He's never going to be top 10. He's never going to be top 10. But does he have... I definitely the, agree with you on that, yeah. Does he have potential to be, like, a solid starter? Like, if the team around him is really good, could he win a Super Bowl? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Like, he's not going to... At his peak, he's not going to um, bring your team down. He's going to run the offense, and he's going to be kind of the perfect just distributor. But I also don't think, like, well, he does have a decent supporting cast. I don't think it's exactly what he needs. So you say you, you're you talking about Juju Smith-Schuster, and I agree. I don't think he's quite as bad as people think he is. Always when players have these kind of, like, slight character issues, like this whole yeah. TikTok dancing on logos, like, that makes people see him as worse than he actually is. But for him, well, I do think he's better, and he got a bounce back here in Kansas City. He is listed right now as their number one receiver. That is yikes. If Juju you, Schuster is your how good number do you, one. How much do you Yeah, how much do you value Devontae Parker as a number two? I guess that's my lead run up question I've, after that. I've always been a big fan of Devontae Parker. Um, I think he's a really good player. His thing is inconsistency. A lot of the times yeah. he's banged up. A lot of the times he's hurt. A lot of the times he can't reach those like moments of like, oh, like holy crap, like this guy is um, something special. You see that for like a couple games, and then it kind of fizzles out. He gets hurt. Um, he has a couple down games. He's not a number one yeah. because you can't rely on him enough to be that consistent presence that you would need from a number one receiver. He's a good secondary piece for Mac Jones. You're not looking at. When you look at this Patriots receiver room, you're not looking at, like, the Titans receiver room, where their number one receiver is um, second-year Traylon Burks. Like, that's rough. 
they're not looking at that. They have some, they have some depth there. Devontae Parker is a perfectly um, fine, could be even above average number two. You just don't have a clear number one. You don't have a player that Mac Jones can be like, oh man, like I, running out of options, being chased out of the pocket. Who's the guy I find? For Mahomes, it's it's Kelsey, which maybe maybe one of these tight ends can be that for Mac Jones. Um, like I think Russell Wilson to Tyler Lockett. I think um, back when he was in Arizona, Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins. Like there's that you always got to have that one guy for, um, especially for a younger quarterback, that can be your security blanket. And I don't think he really has. And that. I was gonna, yeah. And I was gonna say I think you hit it right at the end there. I think that's huge for a young guy to have that guy just to throw it up, F it, somebody's out there somewhere, right? Like Patrick, like the Patrick Mahomes quote, you know, something like that. <laughs> anyway, it's important to have that for a young guy and for their development, and Mac Jones has never really had that. I mean, well, that's not controversial to say he hasn't had that. And the Patriots have a terrible I, record I, of receivers. Yeah, and the one thing, though, when I look at this roster – I see, and this might be controversial to say, but this is just my opinion. I think that this team either has the potential to be the, like Barnwell said, 26th ranked offense, they're going to suck, yada, yada, yada. Or Mac Jones bounces back. We see the juju we saw in 2018 somehow. Devontae Parker gains a little bit of consistency. You could see an offense here that's pretty damn good. They have, a, like, there's a lot of pieces here. It's just the... That's a lot. I just said a lot of things that could happen. That's and, it, the issue, and it's right? going to take a lot for those to happen. Like, yeah, and, like but you're I'd really say, stretching it. Yeah, because obviously you start off, Mac Jones could bounce back, right? Obviously, you can say the chances of that happening, chances of it not happening, you ought to go on forever. The chances Juju has a Pro Bowl level year, not pro, maybe not Pro Bowl, but an improved season past what he did with Kansas City, Keeps on improving, becomes that true number one. Again, fat, fat, could there. Devontae Parker gaining a little bit more consistency, getting even better, yada, yada, yada. I could go on and on. There's so many different coulds there that just really make it hard for me to say right now that I think that this Patriots team is going to have a bounce back here next year. Yeah. They don't have any guys who, you again, I'm, I keep going back to this. You mentioned consistency with Devontae Parker. I'd argue that's the situation with 90% of this team. There is a bunch of guys who have had great years before, have the chance to have one again, but you to succeed with this team, you need all of these guys to line up, have career years all at the same time, and that's just not something that's going to happen. No, it's not. And, and I mean, we talked about this um, a little bit with our, our hockey segment, but the Patriots right now are floating in mediocrity. If, if Mac Jones yeah. peaks... They are 16th best offense in the league. They're not the Patriots be are currently the Calgary Flames of the NFL. Yeah, yeah, which would be a good. <laughs> I wish that was the comparison we made like five years ago, as a Flames fan. Yeah. Oh yeah. But now, <laughs> well, it's imagine good. if we had Tom Brady. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the Patriots, I don't know the the Patriots for me. Um, I wouldn't be. I mean. Maybe give it a few more years. I wouldn't be shocked if Bill Belichick says this is my time to move on. Um, that's maybe a little bit yeah. of a, yeah. Give me get like like think of the outlook for the Patriots. If you're a Patriots fan, how much hope do you have for the next five years? I would say zero. Uh, look at the teams in their division: Buffalo Bills. I think that Josh totally Allen. just comes back to 
as a yeah 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 you're you can like with the division that's definitely a tough division but i think from mm. a fan perspective it complete with how high how much hope you have i think that just comes back to how high you are on mac jones even if mac jones is good though even if mac jones is good he is by far the worst quarterback in that division even tua tua has been inconsistent but tua's highs have been much higher than mac jones tua can lead a Dolphins team that looked genuinely scary at the start of last season. You have Aaron Rodgers on the Jets, who are a genuinely good team even before he got there. Um, they have amazing pieces. These Patriots look like fourth place in the AFC East to me for the next four or five years. And that's even. You think if, that they're going to stay fourth even when Aaron Rodgers leaves? Yeah, because I think the Jets will have yeah. someone else. Because the Jets roster. Um, around Aaron Rodgers is young and good. You've got Garrett Wilson. You've got uh, that that entire receiver room is awesome. You have Brees Hall in the backfield. You have, hopefully, Mekhi Becton can come back from injuries. You've got a good young offensive line there. Um, on defense, you've got some really good pieces. You've got um, Sauce Gardner in the secondary. You've got, uh, oh, who's their guy they got from Cincinnati? They got Carl Lawson, who's hopefully coming back from injury. They've got Quinn and Williams. Like, there is a lot of good young pieces on that team. And that is much better than anything the Patriots have. Um, this is kind of, for me, this is the um, upsetting of the balance in the AFC East. The Patriots won for like 20 years <laughs> straight, and I think they're about, they have to be ready to be um, basement dwellers for the next the next four even if even if there are good pieces on this side like i don't think this offense is terrible if they're in any like if they're in the if they're it's, it's all about competition right if they're in the nfc south they might win like are they better than the saints falcons panthers and bucks at this point probably they're not bad but in the division with the pieces that they have as a patriots fan i'd say hold on to your hats because the next time a patriots team makes the playoffs may not be with bill belichick Okay, I'm going to follow it up with two questions. Obviously, you said you don't think their offense is that bad. And we've spent the last 10 minutes talking about their offense. I'm now going to group their defense in there, too, when I ask this question. What do you think their record is going to be this upcoming season, if you think they're going to be fourth? And do you think that they're going to have a shot at Caleb Williams in this next draft? Uh, I don't think they'll be quite that bad. I don't think they'll be quite that bad to get don't Caleb think so? Williams. Because there's a lot of there's, – there's quite a few bad teams – um, in sure. the league right now. My mind goes to all of the teams I just mentioned in the NFC South. My mind goes to, like, the Commanders. Like, think about that NFC East, too, right? That NFC East, like, is the same situation as this AFC East. The East is strong because you're competing against the Cowboys, Giants, and the um, NFC champion Eagles. As the Commanders, like, who, like, like, so, like, okay... Simon, can you name me this the commander's starting QB right now? I plead the fifth. Yes, exactly. 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 Um, Is it Heineke? <laughs> not anymore. Heineke's on, Heineke's on uh, the Falcons now. He's a backup on the Falcons. Uh, isn't isn't Wentz gone too? Yep, it's Sam oh, Howell. Oh, it's Sam Howell. Howell. Yep. Yeah! You got it. <laughs> got you it. got it. But think about how long that took you, right? Like, it's not, it's, it, nobody, nobody knows and cares about the commanders at this point. They, they could be really bad. That's a win. Bucks, I, don't, I don't care what you're talking about. That's a win. You, you did good, Simon. You did good. But th- my, po- my point Thank being you. that, like, there's other teams that are worse. There's other teams that 
are going to be very bad, like Jacksonville Jaguars of the very late 2010s bad. Um, yeah. The Patriots, so you asked me to give a record prediction. Um, I'd say somewhere around the, like, 6 and 11. I, I'd say anywhere from anywhere from 5 and 12 to 7 and 10, 8 and 9, kind of. 8 and 9, if everything goes right. If everything goes right, they're eight, an 8 and 9 football team. I'm thinking more accurately they get five or six wins. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. I I would definitely agree with you on the fact that they're not going to get Caleb Williams. I, I asked that thinking that as well. I I definitely would lean towards them, if Mac Jones bounces back, probably in that seven-win range, like you said. I don't – for some reason, I have a hard time seeing the Patriots only get five wins. Like you said, I, I don't know why. I Like, when I look at this roster, I don't think that's a five-win roster. I see I see a mediocre seven-win roster, but that's if Mac Jones bounces back. But, but Simon, the thing you have to keep into consideration is not all five-win teams are built the same. The Patriots can be a good five-win team. Very but, true. But they, yeah. are, they have an automatic six losses to me in their schedule just because of their division. You know what? Yeah, that's a very, very good point. I was not thinking about that. Yep. I, okay, I see what you mean. Okay. Guess who's back? Back again. It's Antonio Brown. Let's talk about that. Antonio Brown flames Tom Brady for his dramatic NFL exit. And that's all I wrote in my notes for this, just for context for anybody watching this. Because I, for, I like to have notes going into anything that I do. I like to just have a couple things written down just so I can try and kind of put it all together when I do talk about it. This one is just funny to me. I don't know about you, Caleb, but this is just like, at this point, why are we even still talking about this guy? Yeah. I I mean, he demands like all of your attention just because of how like absolutely insane he is. That The latest, I mean, this is just the latest and still a series of just dumbassery. He... <laughs> obviously he had everything that led up to is him running out of the MetLife stadium without a shirt on but like even <laughs> now he's still in the news because he's owns some sort of team in some sort of like arena yep. football league or something and he's like not paying his players like oh i didn't hear about that i heard yeah. him getting fined for something or other i didn't hear about him not paying his players yeah he owns i the, i gotta get more Oh, it doesn't he, matter. He owns, he, he owns, he owns some. He owns some sort of, um, ar- yeah, arena football team. Yeah, I, the arena football I know team is preparing right. a, a lawsuit against him because he didn't pay his players. <laughs> uh, probably doesn't even and, have the money. Oh no, Dude, he doesn't. Yeah, he yeah, owns. Like, he owns the. <laughs> he owns the Albany Empire. Uh, how much? How much money do you think his rap album? can you can you make negative money did you listen to that (laughs) i did Did i did did back then but it's been oh my god it's It's been years but i can still hear the echoes (laughs) it's like i i think that's etched into my brain forever as the worst thing that's ever graced my ear canals it was horrendous but yeah no he i can say that I, i i could say the opposite because i think that it's one of those things where I feel like once I hear it, I'll instantly just faint in like a, like it's just gonna all come back to me, and I'm just gonna, they're gonna have to like put me in one of the, 
you know, the suits. Like, I'm going to be stuck in, like, a white pillow room for, like, a year. It's going to be oh, one of those yeah. things. I feel like my brain has permanently forgot that for me. But, uh... I think, I think your anyway, brain did you a service. It probably did. We can probably talk about what Antonio Brown's claims are. Which are interesting to me, just hearing... Obviously, we've already heard Tom Brady, Bruce, Bruce Arian's side of it. Now we're... Antonio Brown has been releasing his thing one year at a time, like a Marvel movie. We, we're probably going to get, like, the big thing in, like, ten years where they, like, bring together him and, like, I don't know, who's another guy. It's going to be, like, some sort of, you know, big big Avengers thing. With, who knows? I'm going, I'm going down a different thing. But, uh... He claimed that the Bucks forced him to play through an injury. Obviously, that's the first one that's kind of interesting. I don't know if there's any anybody's really done any actual research into that. If there's anything that, like, if there's any proof Antonio Brown was injured, he also said that the Bucks treated him like a dog, and Tom Brady gassed him up into saying he'd throw to him twelve times in the Jets game. So those are the three things that I did write down about what he did yeah. say because. The rest of it was complete nonsense. I'm not even going to lie to you. I've read a lot of Sports Illustrated articles in my time. I I don't even know with this. <laughs> it's all it's all over the place. Like that's anything with Antonio Brown. Yeah, no. Honestly, I I wouldn't be shocked if there was some sort of truth behind all of it. Like a lot of NFL players play through injuries, right? Like no. I read um, in any sport that's not an uncommon thing. No, I read I I have um I have a I read when I like a couple of years ago Steve Young's autobiography and he talked about like playing through some insane injuries back in his day. They would he like tore something or other in his knee and they sent in the NFC Championship and they just sent him back in the locker room gave him like as many painkillers as they had and sent him back out there. Three pounds of steroids. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I wouldn't be shocked if uh, he was playing through some sort of injury. Um, of but it's because it's Antonio Brown, it's just he makes a bigger deal out of it than it like is, right? It's I'm sure I'm sure those things happened. But I think picture this, like a picture a conversation with Tom Brady where he's like, Bro, like I'm so excited to get you out here, like I'm gonna hit you yeah. like ten to twelve times. Like he's like Does that sound like obviously exaggerated. is obvious yeah, I I can't do my best Tom Brady. But he's Oh like, no, that's not what I mean. I just mean like the quote itself. The, do you think that that actually sounds like there's truth behind that? I, I honestly I do. Like that's that just really? sounds like a guy who's trying to recruit someone to his team and like using hyperbole. Like Okay. But you know that's not realistic. Nobody's no. going to get... Like, t- Travis Kelsey doesn't get t- 10 to 12 receptions a game. And if anybody like, would, it'd be him. Yeah. Like, sure, he, he does hit that sometimes. But it's not like he's like, oh, like, it's going to happen every game. Oh, like, it's going to be... Because it, it's all situational, right? Like, you can't guarantee that you're going to get 12 passes a game if the other team locks in on you. Um, well, it's just it's just Antonio Brown making a bigger deal out of like small things than um, which has been his whole <laughs> MO this whole time. Right. And the thing with Antonio Brown is obviously I the the thing that I think ran him out of the league is I think obviously he got older, he got worse. And by the time there, he obviously going to go back to this quote, the Bucks treated him like a dog. You got to look at it like this. On that Bucks team, he was the third or maybe even, depending on where you put Miller on that team, 
fourth, maybe fourth okay. receiver in that entire thing. He, right? he he was better than Miller. He was better than Miller. You think so? G- g- give anyway. him, give his. He's a he's he's a like he's crazy, but he he was talented. Like you still think? He, okay, you know what? We don't need to go down this rabbit hole. But um, okay, third receiver. You have to realize, as the third string receiver, even if you're the slot guy, even if you're the whatever, you're not going to be treated as the number one, which is what he expects everywhere he goes. Even if he signs somewhere now, in his 30s, all these different things, he expects to be treated like he's that number one guy when he's just not. Like, you, yeah, he's talented. Everybody knows that. Everybody's been saying that about Antonio Brown forever. But he's not the same guy he was when he was 25 even now right or when he was on the box either which is why it's just i feel like maybe antonio brown expected to be continued continuingly treated like he was the best receiver in the league when he wasn't even close and i think that's kind of the thing most nfl players i feel or most any players in any sport as they get worse probably gain a little bit more get a little bit more humble become a little bit more okay with the idea of kind of playing behind a couple guys, becoming more of a leader, while Antonio Brown was like, no, or probably was, I'm, who knows, right? But in my head, that's what I picture whenever I think of Antonio Brown. I think of a guy who is can't accept the fact that he's getting old and getting worse, and he just wants to be treated like the number one. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, it's just cl- classic narcissism. To, to him, he's the center of the entire world, and... Um, I think yeah, you're you're exactly right. He's getting older. He's not as good as he was in his Pittsburgh heyday, um, and he can't live with that fact. So he blames it on everybody else, right? It's it's just a he's a classic narcissist. If I ever were to need to define narcissist for someone, you can just play <laughs> the video of Antonio Brown running out of the stadium, right? Can I play you um, some Antonio Brown lowlights? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, well, that's going to wrap up the podcast. Thanks to anybody who's watching or listening, wherever you're watching or listening to it, whether that's Spotify, YouTube, Apple, wherever that is, make sure to check it out on a different platform because as someone who's, as the person editing all this, I can promise you that there's usually a different version for each one because of how stupid it is to edit that stuff. And uh, yeah, once again, thanks for watching or listening. Make sure to follow, subscribe, whatever the word is for each platform because it feels like it's different on each one and um yeah make sure also check out all the clips that we'll be putting up everywhere because we're going to put segments up on youtube we're going to have clips up on tiktok youtube shorts wherever else you can find it and uh one last final thank you for getting through the entire thing because as someone who has to listen to myself talk every day it's impressive to make it through an hour and a half i can tell you that much